So tonight's talk is about thoughts. The mind likes to think, at least mine does so. And as I've come to know, the mind of others actually also likes to think. I think you can all relate to this. The ability of the mind to think seems to have no boundaries. The mind can produce good thoughts, bad thoughts, loving thoughts, cruel thoughts, angry thoughts, compassionate thoughts, trivial thoughts, nonsense thoughts, fantasies, and the list could go on. These thoughts can be uplifting or they can be depressing. These thoughts can take us up to heaven or they can throw us into hell. So the nature of the mind is to think, to produce thoughts. And the mind does this in abundance, actually more than we like it. When I started to practice meditation many, many years ago, I thought that the goal of meditation was to get rid of thoughts and to be able to, be, to sit without any pain or physical discomfort. This was my notion of enlightenment. After about three years of attending meditation retreats and sitting at home, I was able to sit without much pain or physical discomfort. So I thought that I was already very close to the goal. Well, to get rid of thoughts seemed to be a bit more difficult. And as a matter of fact, when I discovered how much my mind was actually thinking, I was quite shocked. But nevertheless, I was quite confident that I would also be able to tackle this problem within the next three years or so. But now, more than 30 years later, and after much more intensive practice, I have developed a much more realistic uh, picture of practice. And I can tell you a secret. secret. I still have pain, physical discomfort, and thoughts are there too. And by the way, even the Buddha, after having become the Buddha, was still experiencing pain. One time, because the Buddha had back pain, he asked Venerable Ananda to give the talk so that he, the Buddha, could lie down and have some rest. And apparently, the Buddha also suffered from headache. So this more realistic picture of practice includes that they have to come, that they have come to see 
that wanting to get rid of thoughts is not the way out of suffering. Wanting to get rid of thoughts only creates more tension. It creates agitation, frustration. There is resistance there. And I had to realize that it is actually impossible to have no pain or no physical discomfort or thoughts at all. And I also came to see that the practice is actually not so much about thoughts, but it is rather about the attitude we have towards the thoughts and getting to know the nature of thoughts or the nature of the thought processes. So to understand what these thoughts are all about. And when we come to understand what thoughts are, what their nature is, we also come to understand the mind, the nature of the mind. Thoughts are like clouds passing on the sky. Who has not watched um, clouds on a blue sky in the summer, maybe lying in the warm grass? So then there are all kinds of thoughts, sorry, all kinds of clouds, fluffy clouds, big Kamala's clouds, gray clouds, or the whole sky covered with clouds. And as we watch them, we see that these clouds are never static. They're always changing. They change in form and size. They're moving. They're coming and going. The blue sky behind the clouds is always present. We know, even if the whole sky is covered with clouds, behind the clouds is the blue sky. And likewise with the thoughts. As I've said, there are angry thoughts, loving thoughts, compassionate thoughts, impatient thoughts, fantasies, and so on. And they too, they are never static. They're always changing. They change their intensity, their form. Thoughts come and go. And also the mind in its unsoiled state is always present. It's always there. So let's look at the attitude towards the thoughts. Like myself, many meditators think that thoughts should not be happening during the meditation practice. And often meditators equate a good meditation session with one that has very little thoughts and a bad 
meditation session with a, when there are uh, lots of thoughts. So the common reaction in regard to thoughts is one of dislike or aversion, frustration, and this might be also coupled with anxiety, worry, even doubt. Doubts may arise. So the general notion, the general reaction is thoughts should not arise. I need to get rid of them. Thoughts are seen as an enemy and an enemy needs to be eliminated. Another comment that I often hear in interviews is, I still have thoughts. Then what I think, what I do not say out loud is, good that you still have thoughts. <laughs> Imagine what would happen if you were able to get rid of all of your thoughts, including the necessary ones, including the skillful and helpful thoughts. So as I said, in general, the attitude towards thoughts in meditation is one of dislike, of aversion. And this is also coupled with judgment. Judgment about ourselves. So if we are having thoughts, or too many thoughts as we think, then we judge ourselves to be a bad meditator. Thinking or assuming, judging ourselves of not being able to do the practice correctly then we think we are a failure. And there is also judgment regarding the thoughts. They are judged as something bad, as a nuisance. They are seen as something counterproductive. They are seen as the enemy or something that prevents me to be aware. In order to progress in our meditation practice, we really need to create a more conducive environment regarding thoughts. And so for this, we need to carefully observe thoughts or the thought processes so that we come to a deep understanding of what thoughts are like a deep understanding of the nature of thoughts. So we need to understand the nature of thoughts in particular, and we need to understand the nature of mind in general. And the fact that we do not really understand these thoughts is the fact that we have never really looked at our thoughts. 
or heavy. So when we actually start looking at these thoughts, being aware that the thought is happening, what we basically come to discover is that thoughts are coming and going. Or that thoughts are simply an aspect of experience, like any other object. We come to see that thoughts are not the self. And we also come to see that the basic nature of the mind, its clarity, is not lessened or destroyed by thoughts. The mind can be compared to water. Water, in its essence, is clean and clear. Mud, sediment, or other impurities can temporarily darken or pollute the water, but we can filter away these uh, impurities with a filter and then restore its natural clarity. If water weren't naturally clear and clean, no matter how many filters we would use, the water would not become clear. So if we are ready to launch ourselves into the process of being aware of the mind, to have a close look at the thoughts, then we really need to befriend our thoughts, make friends with our thoughts. This is necessary. We must see the thoughts as our friend. Because only when we have a good or benevolent attitude towards something are we open to carefully look and engage with it. So we need to become at ease with our thoughts. Otherwise, we will always be slaves to them. We need to avoid that thoughts, thought patterns, run our lives. So what will we discover once we start to really carefully look at these thought processes? When we really open up to be aware when thoughts are happening. So we come to see, we will discover that these thoughts are a natural function of the mind, something the mind does, because the mind has the capacity to think. In the same way as the eye has the capacity to see, the mind has the capacity to think or the ear has the capacity to hear, or the nose has the capacity to smell. 
we will also discover that thoughts are actually helpful on a relative level. They are helpful in our lives. So, in order for you to come here and uh, come into retreat, you had to think, you had to plan to come here to make the necessary arrangements. Without thinking, you would not, not, not have come here. So we need to see the usefulness of thoughts. What we also come to discover is that thoughts are often conditioned by our habits. They are conditioned by our general attitude. So we see that the speed with which habitual thoughts appear can be really frightening. For example, we see a person in a nice coat and what a nice coat! I want to have such a nice coat too. This thought, this greedy thought, comes up very quickly. Or we walk towards the dining hall and then we smell soya sauce. Oh no, not again, I don't like this. Oops, the thought has come very quickly. An aversive thought. Or as we put on the sweater in the morning, oh, the weather, pa weather patterns are really uh, changing. And my aunt is going to be 80 next month. I wonder if I should put on the red socks today. And when do I, will I do my laundry? So just these random thoughts, trivial thoughts. Coming up uh, on the base of delusion. So just habitual thoughts, conditioned thoughts by our uh, general uh, attitude. Or what we also can observe during retreat, that the mind comes up with any thought it can grasp. Because there is not so much sense stimuli, there is not so much social interaction, then the mind just kind of um, reaches out to grasp anything, to have something to think about. Or what also can happen is to be caught up in the loop of what to say in the next interview. So anything trivial will do for the mind. In my initial years in Burma, uh, practicing with Sayada Ujanaka, a friend of mine was also there practicing. And after three or four months of intensive practice, keeping noble silence, we didn't talk with each other. But then when we came out, you know, we related what we had experienced or how it was for us. And my friend said that she had so many thoughts during these three, four months. And because of that, 
she started to call herself Chatterbox. <laughs> because the mind is so used to think, and because it has become such a strongly ingrained habit, it's much easier to be lost in thought than to stay present. Once a meditator has said in an interview, it's much more fun to be lost in a thought than to be present. Thoughts can also be an escape in order to not be present, especially uh, to avoid unpleasant or difficult experiences. In fact, it's so much more fun to be lost in a nice fantasy than to look at the chatting mind or uh, be confronted with an endless storytelling. Thoughts can also be a source of energy. Sometimes when the mind is dull or is lacking energy, then the mind opens up the energy drawer and starts to think. It's like plugging the plug into the socket. Whoop! The energy starts flowing. Some of these thoughts or fantasies, they really can create quite a lot of energy. There is another kind of thought that we must be especially careful about. And these are thoughts about the Dhamma. These thoughts can be so compelling because they come along and say, we are not the usual trivial thinking mind, but we, these thoughts, are about the Dhamma. So we are really valuable. We lead you to a better understanding of the Dhamma. We will deepen your wisdom. We will grant you extraordinary insights. So there is no problem in thinking us these thoughts. We are completely benign. So we must be very careful to not be seduced by these kinds of thoughts. So if we no longer resist thoughts, no longer resist whatever is going on in your mind, but if you are able to be aware of it, then we will begin to feel a tremendous sense of relaxation. It's so freeing, quote, to have permission to have thoughts present. Then we are really freed from our compulsion to fight the thoughts or to get rid of them or to make them disappear. It's such a relief. For me, it was also such a great relief to hear that the Buddha still had thoughts. Somehow, I had assumed that the Buddha, 
and all enlightened beings would have no more thoughts. After many years of practice and after many years of fighting thoughts, I came across a discourse by the Buddha that brought such a great relief. It was the discourse with the title Thoughts are known by the Buddha. So in that discourse it says that a group of monks were sitting together after they had had their meals. And then they started to praise the Buddha's wonderful qualities. But it didn't take long and the Buddha himself came to that place. And he sat down on the seat that had uh, already been prepared for him, just in case he would come. And so then the Buddha asked the monks what they were talking about. And so they said, we were just praising your wonderful qualities. And to that, then the Buddha said to the Venerable Ananda that he should explain these wonderful qualities of the Buddha in greater detail. And so the Venerable Ananda then was relating a discourse that the Buddha had uh, given earlier in which he had uh, stated his wonderful qualities. And when the Venerable Ananda had done this, when he had finished, then the Buddha added and said, Ananda, remember this too as a wonderful and marvelous quality of the Tathagata. This word Tathagata is the word that the Buddha used when he referred to himself. So for the Tathagata, feelings are known as they arise, as they are present, as they disappear. Perceptions are known as they arise, as they are present, as they disappear. Thoughts are known as they arise, as they are present, as they disappear. Remember this too, Ananda as a wonderful and marvelous quality of the Taktagata. Isn't it great to hear? For me, it was such a relief to hear this. And in this regard, a well-known Tibetan meditation master had said, the beauty of meditation is to become aware of thoughts, of the process of thinking, to understand the mind's nature to think. So when we finally no longer resist thoughts, when we finally no longer want to get rid of thoughts, but when we simply 
observe what is happening in our mind, when we simply are aware of all the happenings in our mind, then we come to see and understand many important things, such as we see and understand that thoughts are happening, that they are simply a natural occurrence. It's neither good nor bad to have thoughts, but they are simply part of our experience as human beings and even as meditating human beings. As we are mindful of what is happening in the mind, we can notice the appearance of a thought. And we might be present right at the moment when a thought pops up. And likewise, we might be really present at the moment when the thought disappears. So this is coming in touch with impermanence. We see and understand that a thought, a thought process, is not a lasting or solid entity, but it's a fleeting and impermanent process, like anything else. Then, as we are mindful of what is happening in the mind, we may painfully notice that the thought arises although we have no desire or inclination to think this particular thought. Or else we come to acknowledge that a thought still continues, although we want this thought to disappear, although we don't want it to be there. And this is coming into touch with the impersonal nature of the thoughts. We see and understand the impersonality of a thought, the impersonality of a thought process. We see that we have no absolute control over these thoughts, thought processes. Or then, as we are becoming more and more aware of our thoughts, we see that these thoughts have actually a life of their own. We see that they can be such a nuisance or such a torment. And so we become more and more disenchanted with them. So we come to see and understand their unsatisfactory nature. We see how much dukkha thoughts can create. So in our practice, when confronted with thoughts, one 
of the following three responses usually happens. Either we get identified with the thought and then we get carried away by the thought. Or when a thought arises, then we resist the thought because we don't want it or we want to get rid of it. So frustration arises. Or another response is to observe the thought, to be aware of the movement that is happening in the mind. The movement in the mind that is uh, caused by the thought. So we try to just be aware that the thought is happening without reacting to it as much as possible. To be aware of thoughts is basically not different from the way we are aware of other objects, like a painful sensation or a sound or a smell or the lifting movement of the foot or an emotion. But with thoughts, we must be a bit more vigilant. This is because of different reasons. One is we easily get caught up with the contents of the thought, with the story of the thought, or we are easily seduced by the story. And then we easily identify with the thought. We identify with the story, the content of the thought. We take it so personal. And then as a result of taking it so personal, we immediately react to it by our habitual uh, response. And so very quickly, we find ourselves already in the reaction to the thought and no longer in the original thought. So we should learn to simply rest our awareness with the thought or the thought process. It's a little bit like an old man sitting on a bench in a park and watching the children play in the playground. The old man is not lost in the play. He just watches the children play. Being aware of thoughts or observing thoughts might not feel like meditating at all. Somehow it runs against our ingrained notion of what meditation should be like, namely to get rid of thoughts, to eliminate thoughts, to get rid of thoughts so that we finally can start to meditate. The Tibetan word 
for meditation is gom or something like this. And apparently this means to become familiar with. So we want to become familiar with what is happening in our body and mind, including our thoughts. So then we can ask ourselves, what is the difference between just having ordinary thoughts and having thoughts during meditation? Awareness, mindfulness makes the whole difference. So if you are lost in a thought, if you are overwhelmed by a thought, if you are carried away by a thought, then we are not meditating. But if we are aware that thinking is happening, if you are mindful of the thought process, then we can say that we are meditating. It's a fine line, but it makes such a huge difference. So with our practice of meditation, we do not want to destroy the faculty of thinking. Far from it. What we want to do with our practice of vipassana meditation is to understand the nature of thoughts and with that to understand the nature of the mind. Then with the growing understanding of what kind of thoughts run through our mind, we are eager to weaken and finally uh, completely overcome all the unskillful thoughts, to weaken and overcome the unwholesome, uh, uh, unskillful thoughts. And with that understanding, we really want to strengthen and cultivate wholesome and beneficial uh, thoughts. And this brings such a tremendous relief. This brings freedom. I want to finish this talk with a thought of Venerable Tenzin Palmo. She is an English nun ordained since many, many years in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. She said, Imagine that there is a loudspeaker attached to your mind and everybody could hear whatever everybody else is thinking. If this were the case, people would be really interested to learn meditation and to learn it as quickly as possible. I thank you for your attention. 
And to finish, we will chant the dedication and sharing of merit. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.